Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, public safety officials look to educate drivers about the recently passed hands-free cell phone law. Nickelodeon Universe at the Mall of America becomes a certified autism center and an update on spring wildfire season. But first... Long hours for lawmakers at the state capitol this week as the House and Senate began passing major pieces of the state budget, setting the stage for soon-to-begin negotiations that will hopefully wrap up the 2019 legislative session by the May 20th deadline. MNN's Bill Werner is here to review what's happening in key areas. Scott, let's start with a topic that is on a lot of Minnesotans' minds, namely health care. People are living in pain. People are dying. And the drug makers and the middleman and the hospitals, the insurance companies, they all blame somebody else. Claire Hand from St. Paul among activists at the state capitol this week demanding that lawmakers do something about high prescription drug prices. Hand, who has severe rheumatoid arthritis, says her medication copay went from $60 a month to $1,400. Well, I was off the medication. I was in extreme pain. I had to walk with a cane. I lost so much strength I couldn't cut a peanut butter sandwich. Democrats say provisions in the Health and Human Services bill that the Minnesota House passed this week start to rein in pharmacy benefit managers, who they say are making a lot of profit. Well, that human services funding bill is the second largest piece of the state budget, and Glencoe Republican Glenn Grunhagen warns it's the first step toward a massively expensive government takeover of the health care system. They are spending Minnesota's tax dollars to study and come up with legislation for single payer. Minnesotans would lose their choice in health care. House Speaker Democrat Melissa Hortman responds. Minnesotans did not ask any of us to reduce their access to health care during the last campaign. They asked us to increase access to health care, and that's what our budget does. Health care will figure prominently in the rapidly approaching end-of-session budget negotiations. Republicans are pushing for another round of state-paid reinsurance to help hold down health insurance premiums. Governor Tim Walz and Democrats want to continue the health care provider tax, which they say funds health insurance programs for low-income Minnesotans. Republicans call it a sick tax. Let's move on to the biggest dollar category in the state budget, E-12 education. Democrats in the Minnesota House drew official battle lines with the Senate this week, passing a major funding bill that would give public schools a significantly larger increase than Republicans propose. House Speaker Melissa Hortman says the Senate has an austerity budget when it is not needed. Minnesotans are not asking for that. Minnesotans are asking for us to invest in our education for all the kids. But Little Falls Republican Ron Creshaw says about House Democrats' plan. We all support making sure schools are funded and that they have the resources they need, but this bill simply is unrealistic. The only way that you could get to the number they are proposing is by raiding the transportation fund and then raising the gas tax to backfill that. House Democratic Majority Leader Ryan Winkler responds. There is no way that we can make a significant difference for Minnesota's kids, for people's health care, for transportation, for higher education. There is no way that we can make a difference in any of those areas without some new revenue in some places. Also part of the public school funding bill, a controversial mandate that all Minnesota school districts have comprehensive sex education programs. Albert Lee Representative Peggy Bennett warns Planned Parenthood is pushing that curriculum drawn from a controversial book. What's in here would be considered pornography anywhere else. 
And this is the kind of thing that's going to get driven down, not even just to kindergarten, but to preschool. Northfield Democrat Todd Lippert responds, any instruction must be appropriate for age level and beyond that. Parents, if the model program is being used, can opt out, uh, have their children uh, taken out of that instruction as they can with uh, sexual health curriculum currently. Lippert notes school districts could also opt out of the standard curriculum. Opponents respond districts would still be required to have comprehensive sex education programs. As long as we're talking about education, let's move on to higher ed. The Minnesota Senate this week passed a $3.3 billion bill with a $100 million increase for the state's public colleges and universities. Lead author Plymouth Republican Paul Anderson says that measure would also limit tuition increases to 2% at state colleges and universities and the University of Minnesota. We were recognized uh, we don't want to penalize the system. Uh, we understand that there's some inflationary costs, but in this case, uh, we cap them at 2%. Meanwhile, House Democrats' bill would give higher education over a $300 million increase three times what Senate Republicans approved. A compromise is one of many agenda items for end-of-session budget negotiations. All Minnesota workers could have up to 48 hours of paid sick time per year to care for themselves or a loved one. Plus, the state would set up a more expansive paid family and medical leave program using contributions from workers and employers. That's under a measure the Democrat-controlled Minnesota House passed this week as part of a major budget bill. Opponents warn that extra expense could put tight-margin small companies out of business. If we don't have employers, we don't have employees. Says Red Wing Republican Barb Haley. But Egan Democrat Lori Halverson says... The people of Minnesota need our help. The measures face stiff opposition in the Republican-controlled Minnesota Senate. Major differences have been clear for some time, but battle lines were officially drawn this week when Senate Republicans rolled out their tax bill. Lino Lake Senator Roger Chamberlain. This is a zero tax increase. It gives $800 million back to Minnesotans to do what they need. Our colleagues across the aisle are proposing $12 billion in four years. $12 billion increase in four years. That is the opposite of opportunity. Chamberlain adds a new state revenue department study proves Governor Walz's tax plan would hurt middle and hardworking Minnesotans the most. The governor responds, programs those taxes pay for benefit working Minnesotans the most. I think you're going to see overwhelmingly the things that we're paying for with some of these revenues are the things that are going to make the biggest impact. House Democrats are also in the mix with their tax plan, and Speaker Melissa Hortman says... If you're a middle-class family and you are dealing with kids in daycare and driving on roads and hitting a pothole and getting $1,400 in rim repairs... The Minnesota House DFL budget takes care of you. The Senate DFL budget takes care of the billionaires who don't want to pay their fair share of taxes. Republican Senator Chamberlain responds, Democrats spending and tax increases, including a gas tax hike. It'll lead to ruin of the economy. They're going to do it. Scott, it's about three weeks until the legislature must adjourn. And to avoid a special session, Republicans and Governor Walls and his fellow Democrats have to hammer out a compromise. Thank you, Bill, and of course, we'll have all the latest updates from the Capitol as they happen. Minnesota Matters returns after this.
night we put on an epic light show. Yeah, we did. The crowd loved us. We love the crowd. Wait, but there were only four people out there. Yeah, but did you see their four faces? All eight of their eyes lit up brighter than ours. <sighs> and we're fireflies. Yeah, we are. Hey, that one girl, she looked like she'd never seen glow in the dark like this before. And we invented glow in the dark. Yeah, we invented it. And we're going to be out here every night rocking out our light show at a forest near you. So come check us out. Check us out. And bring your kid all ages show. Oh, but uh, don't bring any of those glass jars because they make us kind of nervous. Yeah, and I'm super claustrophobic. Whether you're rocking their world or they're rocking yours, some memories never fade. Come alive with the forest. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a forest near you and discover other cool things to do when you go, like fishing, biking, or even camping. Visit discovertheforest.org. See you later. Yeah, see you soon. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Minnesota's hands-free driving law will go into effect on August 1st, and law enforcement officials are using the time between now and then to educate the public about what is allowed behind the wheel and what is not. I recently chatted with Mike Hansen from the State Office of Traffic Safety about the public awareness campaign and what Minnesota drivers can expect from the new law. We've actually already started. If you go to the DPS or the uh, Office of Traffic Safety website and you can click on a link there that will take you to handsfreemn.org and there we have a section for frequently asked questions as well as a brief outline of what options uh, folks will have uh, in order to comply with the law and to go hands-free. Now, beyond that, we are in the midst of planning a rather significant uh, media and public outreach campaign that's going to be multi-platformed. It's going to be uh, statewide. We want all Minnesotans to be informed and to make good decisions about this change in the law. And we are going to go to great extents to make sure that we reach out to all of Minnesota to make sure that they have the information they need in order to comply come August 1st. Mike, what's the key message that you have for Minnesotans with regard to the new law? Don't wait until August 1st to find out what your hands-free option is going to be. Start right now, and there's no reason to wait until August 1st. Make those good decisions. Go hands-free right now, and that way you won't have to worry a bit about what happens uh, in August or beyond that. There are all kinds of options out there for uh, for everybody to use, and so that that is the key message. Is now is the time to make the change, and the sooner we get everybody to make the, the changes, the safer our roads are going to be for everybody. I know it's fairly early in the process. The law was just passed, but you did you did say that there was information on the website about the most frequently asked questions. Is there one or two questions that you're getting more of uh, already early in the process? Oh, they've really kind of run the gamut uh, of everything, Scott. There's not really been any one particular theme uh, that comes through. Um, you know, the one that I guess I've probably seen more often than most of the others is, you know, is there ever a time that I can have the phone in my hand? And the short answer to that is no, unless you need emergency services. If it's uh, a uh, uh, something where you require law enforcement or medical response uh, in an immediate uh, manner, then you can actually have the phone in your hand. In terms of advice that you would have for those of us that maybe don't have uh, capabilities for hands-free 
at the ready. Uh, from what I've been told from lawmakers, it's relatively easy to sort of make that transition or to buy the technology to be able to make you hands-free. Is that your experience as well? It is. And, you know, many of the newer vehicles out there all have systems that you can pair with your phone. And that's, that's probably the, the easiest and the most effective. Now, myself, for example, I drive a 2007 Jeep, and it does not have those capabilities. So my answer is a, a Bluetooth connection with a single earpiece that talks to my phone, and I can uh, use that when I choose to uh, uh, engage in a conversation when I'm driving, which for the most part I do not. Um, but it can be as simple as a single earbud. Remember that under Minnesota law, you cannot cover both ears. You can only cover one. Uh, so, you know, those are two relatively simple solutions right there, uh, in addition to pairing your phone with your car. Uh, how much of an effort will law enforcement be making to enforce this particular law when it goes into effect on August 1st? Is there, do you have a sense of that? Oh, I think like any traffic law, law enforcement uh, will be paying attention to it. Certainly the fact that this is a, a significant change in uh, the law regarding what we can and cannot do with our electronic devices and our vehicles, um, it, it will probably have a, a bit more attention than perhaps uh, it did in the past. Uh, but again, it's not the only thing that uh, is distracting drivers out there. Um, distraction takes all kinds of different forms, so anything that we do behind the wheel that takes our attention away from that driving task is something that catches law enforcement's attention. So, you know, at, at this point, I'm not aware of any special campaigns or extra enforcement that's going to take place at that time. Now, in the future, there may very well be, uh, but it is going to make it much easier for law enforcement to enforce the electronic device law. And speaking of uh, enforcement campaigns, if I'm not mistaken, we're in the middle of one right now for distracted driving. Uh, do, do we have a sort of a progress report on how that's going right now? I don't have any of the statistics or the numbers right at hand. We'll be getting those out as the, the campaign uh, wraps up. But uh, law enforcement, anecdotally, from talking to the officers, troopers, and deputies that I interact with, um, they're seeing pretty much the same thing that they've seen in years past, and that is too much. People are interacting far too much with their electronic devices and not paying attention uh, when they're behind the wheel. Drivers need to remember that when you're driving, that is your number one task. You need your eyes up on the road. You need to put your phone down and engage your mind to uh, concentrate on that driving task. That is the most important thing that you are doing at that time. Uh, well stated, Mike. Is there anything else you wanted to add this afternoon? No, just kind of to circle back that for uh, everybody who is looking for information regarding this law, and we will be updating the website with uh, new information all the time, but that handsfreemn.org. Uh, you can go there and look at the frequently asked questions, and we also have tips there for how folks can uh, comply with the law when it goes into effect August 1st. Thanks again to my guest, Mike Hansen, with the Office of Traffic Safety. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Warm temperatures and dry conditions mean increased wildfire risk in Minnesota. As a result, the DNR is restricting open burning in a number of Minnesota counties. Tasha Radel has more. 
That's right, Scott. Burning restrictions will be adjusted, including extension of restrictions to additional counties as those conditions change. Remember, for information and daily updates, you can check the current fire risk and open burning restrictions in your area by heading to the Minnesota DNR's website. Here to talk a little bit more about the spring burning restrictions is Casey McCoy, Fire Prevention Supervisor for the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. Casey, tell us a little bit uh, about the history of of these restrictions. Yeah, we've um, we've actually been very successful. Restrictions have been successful for oh about fifteen years, a little bit more than that. Um, they essentially uh, restrict burning to just those. Um, fires that have what we call a variance permit, those uh, burns that have a burn plan associated with them, um, traditionally a burn plan associated with them anyway. Um, and essentially the uh, the burns that have a, a, a purpose other than maybe just clearing and removing brush piles. Um, and so for a certain window here, we will restrict uh, burning to just those types of burns that have a little bit higher management over the top of them. And uh, that has helped actually drop, uh, since we initiated uh, burning restrictions every spring, we've dropped, or let's, I would say uh, the incidence of wildfire in Minnesota has dropped about 30% since we started uh, uh, using burning restrictions every spring. I know it. it uh, I know it sometimes comes at a at a bad time for folks, but it does. It is very effective on uh, on having the desired effect on uh, reducing uh, wildfires anyway. And is there a particular area of the state that these restrictions are in effect for? Uh, right now, there is a um, you know best described as, as kind of a uh, east to west stripe through kind of the center section of the state right now. Um, so let's say the uh, metro area. Uh, west uh, in a line all the way to the uh, to the border, the western border of Minnesota. That will probably move. Uh, you'll see some counties north of that pop up on um, uh, next Monday as well, most likely. Uh, we're still nailing some of those down, but there'll be a few added. And if uh, anyone is interested, they can go to a. Uh, we have a, a map posted on our website that shows the most current uh, burning restrictions uh, that people can. Uh, can go to see if their county is uh, included within those restrictions. Casey, let's switch gears a little bit and uh, talk about drones. When you think of the fire season, uh, drones, I guess, really don't come to mind. But I know while it can be fun, uh, it can be really dangerous uh, during a wildfire. Can you tell us a little bit about this? Drones represent a potential hazard to uh, firefighting aircraft. Uh, When firefighting aircraft are working uh, an active wildfire, if drones are spotted within that area that they're working, the aircraft will be literally they will they will be removed from the fire and sat down, you know, at their at their home base or at the local or uh, the nearest base until that drone can be located or removed from the area, and so it, that that potential damage to the aircraft potentially um, uh, you know significant damage causing the aircraft to crash uh, is what is uh, the main concern with that. Um, a drone into the side of an airplane or into the uh, the canopy of a uh, firefighting airplane can actually cause quite a bit of damage, and so uh, the and not just here in Minnesota but nationwide the response to that whenever a drone is seen in the area uh, of a working wildfire that the fire suppression planes or helicopters will be removed from that fire until they can locate the I guess you'd say pilot of the uh, uh, drone 
to have them remove that or until it, you know until they no longer detect that presence and they can go back to work. So it really does hamper the operations, aviation operations on a wildfire um, by folks having drones going within that area. I'm not necessarily familiar with the uh, you know, all the ins and outs, like I say, that's a little out of my wheelhouse on specifics on any kind of rules and regulations that deal with that. I know there's quite a few of them that deal with uh, uh, with drones. Bottom line is, if, if uh, drones are flying, we can't. Yeah, and, and that can make all the difference when fighting a wildfire, I'm assuming. Yeah, you bet. Mm-hmm. That's, yep. I mean, we, we, we attack wildfires in Minnesota. We are very aggressive about those to keep those acres as small as possible. And so, um, you know, one missed drop or one... A uh, period of time where we can't use that, those aviation resources on a wildfire can have a you know a major impact into how how many acres that wildfire might burn in the end. Thanks again to my guest Casey McCoy, the DNR's fire prevention supervisor. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Who might you save? Your mother, your father, your husband, uncle, and son. Learn fast, F-A-S-T, the sudden signs of a stroke, and you could save. Your friend, your best friend, teacher, boss, coach. F, face drooping, A, arm weakness, S, speech difficulty, T, time to call 911. F-A-S-T, face, arm, speech, time. That's F, face drooping, A, arm weakness, S, speech difficulty, T, time to call 911. The sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in the recovery of... Your neighbor, the waiter, a fellow shopper, a total stranger, grandmother, grandfather. So learn FAST, the sudden signs of a stroke, then pass it on, because you never know who might save you. Your wife, your colleague, teammate, mother... Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Mall of America's Nickelodeon Universe theme park is now internationally recognized as a certified autism center. Reporter J.W. Cox has more details on this unique step for one of the state's biggest attractions. Scott, the certification comes from the International Board of Credentialing and Continuing Education Standards. The board's president, Meredith Teakin, says the certification process is a significant commitment for any organization and sends a strong signal that the Mall of America is dedicated to helping battle stigmas surrounding people with autism or other sensory sensitivities. They've gone through a training program. Their front-facing staff or guest-facing staff have all been trained in autism sensitivity and awareness. So what that means is just understanding guests who maybe might have, you know, different needs or may want to experience um, the park or the mall in a little bit different way and kind of understanding ways that they can make some some changes to the way that they do things just to make it easier um, and really kind of, you know, putting that out there that, you know, they want to be more welcoming and uh, they want to be, you know, a good option for, for folks to visit. And then we did also do an on-site review as well. So we created sensory guides for the rides at Nick Universe that is going to be able to allow families to understand a little bit better which senses might be impacted because autism is a sensory disorder. So just trying to provide as much information as possible so that guests can kind of be able to choose how they experience the park. As someone who works in this space on a daily basis, what's the impact that this type of certification can have on families or individuals who are dealing with the complications related to sensory sensitivity? In, in all its forms. 
gosh. I mean, it really makes a big difference. We do a lot of work with making sure we get feedback from families and individuals who are on the autism spectrum. Um, our board has, has multiple members who are on the spectrum themselves who help actually create our training programs as well as experts in other areas. So it really can make a huge difference. You know, a lot of families particularly families with children on the spectrum, um, they they do have some accommodations or things that they're looking for, and they really just are looking for knowledge. So when they're looking to have a new experience, sometimes there is hesitation because they're not sure how they will be received or, you know, again, kind of even trying to research before you visit somewhere what the options are and how are you going to, you know, every individual on the autism spectrum is different. Everyone is an individual, just, you know, we're all human beings. So um, being able to kind of understand what the options are when they visit a new place and then just know that the staff is going to be welcoming, um, you know, we do try to break down some of those stereotypes as well as far as a lot of people have heard about autism, but they maybe don't understand exactly what that means or what those individuals, how they see the world or experience things. So it just it just makes um, families and individuals from the feedback we've received, is so much more comfortable and it's a huge relief. They feel safer and just more welcomed in general. And what we're seeing is that a lot of families are now seeking out those certified destinations because they want to support those organizations that have taken that extra step. Can the high level of attraction the Mall of America is and the amount of attention it gets help bring even more destinations around to thinking about getting this kind of certification? We think really it should be the industry standard, um, just, you know, how sort of being ADA compliant is the industry standard. We would hope, you know, someday soon that, that this type of training and certification would be the industry standard as well. Um, so the organizations that today are going through, you know, this extra commitment and the, this extra training, they're really leading the way. So they're leaders in the industry. And absolutely, you know, having such a huge attraction like the Mall of America and Nickelodeon Universe, having them kind of, again, step out and say, kind of shouting from the rooftops, like, we're here, we want to welcome you. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done. There's still a lot of stigma, you know, out in the world um, regarding individuals who have autism. So, or even just fear of the unknown, people just don't understand it so they want to be welcoming but they just they don't know how to certainly you know having some of these flagship organizations and leaders in the industry kind of take up the charge so to speak I think is is making all the difference in the world we've seen a lot of organizations now becoming more interested in seeing sort of what they can do maybe they weren't aware this was an option and again we really want to emphasize the organizations that are going through the third-party certification and the training and um, you know, they're they're doing a lot of other things and a lot of other initiatives and making changes on site as well. But this is, again, kind of taking it to the next level. Where are we on the road to making this type of training and certification an industry standard? We're seeing, again, like I said, a lot of movement, a lot of interest. Um, you know, organizations are still kind of looking for, you know, who do I go to and what do I do and, and how do I do this? So it is it is an undertaking, but we are we are seeing a lot of of movement, and we work all over the world. We work um, in all fifty states in the U.S. as well. So it is becoming more of a of a need, you know, as the diagnosis rate grows, and there's statistically these guests are probably already you know coming to your destination or attraction, but more would be able to visit if these organizations would be pursuing the certification. So kind of what the future is or what the benchmarks are, you know, a theme park is still a theme park, a resort is still a resort. But what we focus on again is 
these families and these individuals, you know, adults on the spectrum as well. At the end of the day, we're all human. We all have needs. We all have sensitivities and, and things that would make our guest experience better. So at the end of the day, we just want these families to be able to have the same experiences that we all do, or at least the same options, and giving them, you know, also the knowledge with the sensory guides and the other kind of materials and things that we help these organizations develop. It gives them the choice and, you know, knowledge is power in order for them to be able to have more options and more information, and then they can decide what's right for them. It's not about every organization completely changing who they are and what they do. Really, it's just making reasonable accommodations and enhancing the communication so that, again, individuals and families can kind of make that choice for themselves. Anyone interested in finding more information on other certified autism centers around the globe, visit autismtravel.com. Scott, back to you. Thank you for that, JW. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.